morning we are going to continue our series that we've been doing called Ministering Together. And what a glorious thing to see today. But two churches ministering together. Sola City Church, which meets across the street earlier than we do, but sometimes gets, eight, gets out after we do. <laughs> you think I preach a long time sometimes. Apparently they're... Their pastor, he loves to preach a long time sometimes. Y'all are just leaving when we're getting out sometimes. But, you know, I love Solo City Church. They got a heart for the Lord, heart for worship. And we're in this together. Churches should be in this together. We shouldn't have territory. We shouldn't have places that, that is ours and that is theirs because we're in this together to win as many people as we can to Jesus Christ so that they can have hope in heaven. So today we're going to continue the series called Ministering Together. And we've been looking at some men who have been ministering with Paul. And he has mentioned them in the book of Colossians. So today, if you would like to follow along, open up your word as we turn up the house lights. We will get you so you can get into your word. I want you in your copy of the Bible. I want you to be looking at scripture yourself so that you can see exactly what God's word says and not just simply listen to my words this morning. I want you to know there is an enemy that does not want you to be influenced by today's message. There's an enemy that does not want you to be in tune to what today's message is actually about. And that enemy wants you to be, get distracted. That enemy wants to, you to see this as insignificant. It's not something you really need. This isn't one of those uh, going to get you out of your seats running around uh, hooping and hollering type of messages. So I'm going to think about what I'm going to do later today. Don't let the enemy do that to you. Because I am convinced that today's topic is the very tool that can bring a blow to Satan himself and defeat him and all that he's trying to do. Our prayer life, our prayer life can remain as unsatisfying as an empty bottle of water. Today in my hand I have a bottle and inside of it, it's empty. This bottle of water at some time had drinking water in it and there is no longer anything there. And as we travel through life and we are faced with difficulties, things that will wear us down and wear us out and get us tired, get us wore out, busyness, we will want something refreshing and we will turn to a lot of stuff. But a prayerless life is like an empty glass of water. There will be no refreshing. There will be no revigorating let me also say this, that a prayerless life is a life that will only say, Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. A prayerless life will just simply say, God, thank you for my day. I'm now going to sleep. Amen. A prayerless life is one that will go, God, I need that promotion at work. And if you're any kind of God, you're going to give it to me. That's not a prayer-filled life. If that's the only prayers you pray, it's as refreshing as an empty bottle of water. So if it's okay with you today, I want to teach you how to take away this life, this life of emptiness that you might be living, this life of 
non-nourishment, non-refreshment in your relationship with God. And I just want to crush it. I want to do away with it. I want to give you something more than just this. As a matter of fact, if you will, I'm just going to toss that thing. Just get rid of it. Because here's what I want you to have. I want you to have a life filled with refreshing. Listen, listen. You know what that pop is? That means this is a freshly opened bottle of water. Anybody here thirsty? Too bad, this is my bottle of water. It's been hot in Georgia lately. Going outside, whoo, will wear you out. Now, last night we got all kinds of rain. But when you're out in the sun, your body gets tired. You begin to sweat and you get thirsty. Did you know that if you get thirsty, that is actually a sign that you're already dehydrated? That you've waited too long before you've gone to water. If you get so thirsty and you get in a situation where you're desperate and you're crying out to God, it could quite possibly be that you haven't been sipping from the fountain to start with. Today, I want, I want to fill up your, your bottle. I want you to know how to have an endless supply of hope and refreshment. Because I believe we have somebody in Scripture that's going to give us that today and point us to that place and to that position. Today, we are going to be looking at the third gentleman that Paul mentions here in chapter 4 of Colossians. The first one we talked about was Tychicus. Somebody say Tychicus. Tychicus. Whoo, we like to say these words around here. Tychicus. Tychicus. We all speaking in tongues. Tychicus. He was a man who chose the right way even when it was hard. He didn't choose the easy way. He he chose the right way. He was with Paul there. Then we learned about Aristarchus. Somebody say Aristarchus. That was pretty good. I didn't hear it from over here. Aristarchus. Aristarchus was a man who made the hard choice. When the going got tough, Aristarchus got going. He didn't back down, even though he was was persecuted, he stuck with Paul. He ministered with Paul. He was with Paul on the boat when it sank and there was a shipwreck. He was in Rome when Paul was under arrest. He was with Paul when he was under arrest near Jerusalem. He was right there with Paul, stuck with him. When the going got tough, the child of God kept going. Today we're going to be with a new man. Epiphras. Say Epiphras. Epiphras. I like the name. We can find out from Epiphras a couple of things in chapter 1 of this particular book. In Colossians chapter 1, we find that Epiphras has told Paul about the church. Epiphras has been bragging and talking about the love of the saints and, and the way that they, they, just, they have taken the, the gospel and they have held on to it with a fervent love. As a matter of fact, Epiphras is the one who started the gospel. He was a church planner, if you will. Epiphras was the one who got this church going, and and he is the one who's been teaching them, and he has been with Paul in Rome and telling Paul all about them. 
we find that he, he mentions about what a great group of saints they were. Now, they call them saints, but do you think there was a few sinners amongst them in the church? Do you think there were just a few of those saints who probably were just a little ugly and mean at times? They probably were. But you know what Paul and Epaphras called them? Saints. Not because of their action, but because of their rebirth in Christ. So I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen, this morning. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. Whether you act like it or not, you are a saint. So why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you're a saint. Boy, there sure are some laughter going on in this room like, yeah, right. <laughs> but really, according to God's word, you are a saint. And Epaphras was telling Paul about all these saints in the church and about how wonderful they are. I want to just read to you just a little bit here in chapter 1 and then we'll get into chapter 4 and see the heart of who he was that made a difference. Verse 3, I'm going to start in verse 3 of chapter 1. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, praying always for you, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith, now who did he hear about it from? Thank you, Troy. I'll just turn this way and preach this morning. <laughs> He heard about their faith from Epaphras. Who is it that he heard, heard it from? Epaphras. There you go. Your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from who? Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Now this morning, Epaphras is one of those guys who love to talk about his church. He loved to tell people about the people in his church. Now there are some people in this world who love to talk about their church. And boy, when they talk about their church, usually begins as soon as they get out the door and they get in the car. Can you believe that pastor preached after 12 o'clock? It was 12.15 before we got out that door. And then there are others who as soon as they get in the car, they're going, man, what a service today. I felt the Lord and I have been moved. And when they get to their office the next day, they're going, wow, I had a great weekend. I went to church and I just knew God was there. It was a great experience. Epaphras was one of those people that if you get around him, he's going to talk about the people in his church. He's going to tell you about how much they love and how much they, they are ingrained in Christ. Here's a question for you. This isn't even part of the sermon notes today. How often do you talk about the people in your church? And when you do, do you do it in a positive way or a negative way? I hope and pray that it's always positive and you're telling people about how you're moved and how the people love God here. If you don't, I challenge you to do that this upcoming week. 
But let's get into Epiphras in chapter 4 because we're going to discover the depth and the heart of this man named Epiphras. We know that he shared the gospel. That was very clear. He planted the church. He started the church and the church has grown. And he loved the people and the people loved him and they loved one another. And they told other people about the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of each other. But Ian Bounds said this, Prayer is of transcendent importance. Listen, prayer is the mightiest agent to advance God's work. Praying hearts and praying hands only can do God's work. It is those who pray who have the power when they work for Christ. The absence of praying, of vibrant prayer life, will leave your life empty like an empty water bottle. So today, I want us to look in verses 12 and 13. That's a preview of what you're about to hear about Epiphras. Verse 12 of chapter 4, Colossians. Epiphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Why would he do that? Because he loved them. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Oropolis. Epiphras. Epiphras prayed. He was a man of prayer. And the very first thing you can know, and we can write this down today, you can put it in your notes, you can find it in the bulletin, you can find it online, you can uh, uh, just write it down on a blank piece of paper, but write this down today. The first thing is this. When Epiphras prayed, he prayed consistently. He prayed consistently. Look at this. I love the word that Paul uses here. Epiphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Always. If that doesn't scream consistency, I don't know what would. Always. Man, can you imagine someone looking at you and say, I always pray for you. What does that mean? It means they are consistent in their prayers for you. See, that consistency for Epiphras was not based on when it was convenient, when it felt good, or if he wasn't too busy. It wasn't based on whether he remembered it or not because his love for the people was so deep. He couldn't help but to pray on a consistent basis for them. So the question must come. If you're not consistent in your prayer life, then what is it that's keeping you from it? Is it the busyness of your morning? Is it the busyness of your day? Is it the distractions of this thing that we call a smartphone that makes all of us really dumb? Is it the distraction of just life in general? Is it the distraction of just needing more sleep in the morning? Let me tell you, if you allow those things to be used by the evil one to keep you from a consistent prayer life, then you're going to wind up like a water bottle with no water in it when it comes time for you needing something to refresh you. Epiphras was consistent in his praying. 
The second thing that we can find about Epaphras is just followed right after this, and this is a really good one. This is going to hit us all hard, and I'm about to step on some toes, maybe stomp on a couple. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly. Laboring earnestly or fervently. Do you know what that actually means? It means that when this guy prayed, it wasn't, Oh dear holy God, we thank us thee for the food that setteth you that you setteth before us today. When Epaphras prayed, he was laboring, meaning that there was probably tears running down his eyes, and when he prayed, he probably even beat the ground some. Praying hard, fervently and earnestly. With a resolve. And it means that he worked. Now, does that mean that prayer is hard? No. What this means is that when he prayed, he prayed from the heart. He prayed from the depths of his love. He prayed because there was an urgency that he knew there was a need that he had to get to God. This praying earnestly is something that if there was more of it in this country, in our churches today, there would be such a revival. Our culture would be different. The minds of people would be different. Everything would be different if God's people were praying earnestly and laboring for one another and for the lost. If my people who are called by my name, if the Christians, those who claim my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Let me tell you something. You cannot pray fervently and earnestly and labor in prayer and continue in sin because God will get a hold of you in that time of prayer and He will shake you and you'll begin to see your, your face before a holy and living God. Isaiah he found himself in reflection to a holy and living God. And he said, woe is me. Let me tell you, today we need people who would be willing to labor fervently, even when it's not convenient, in prayer for people. Praying for one another, praying for our communities, praying for the lost, praying for those who do not know Jesus. Right now, my wonderful friend Buddy Anderson is going to, and somebody else is going to help him, and they're, they're going to bring this board right up here on, on this stage. This board that has been here so long that some of us has probably forgotten it's even over there or what it's even for. Some of you, you may not have never been here today, and this is the first time that you've seen the board, so you're not sure what this board is. So I'm going to kind of explain it to you. This board is filled with people who need hope. This board is filled with people that if they breathe their last breath today would die and go to hell. If that's not a reason to labor and to fervently be in prayer, then God help us. We pray more for people who are sick than we do for those who are spiritually sick and dying and going to hell.
This man, Epaphras, when he prayed, he prayed that God would move in their life. And these, there's a whole list right here of people we need to be praying for. So if you have nobody in your life that you can fervently be praying for, let me give you a hint. There might be a few that we could tell you that you could add to your list or just mention or lift up. I mean, names like Gabe, Al, Tommy, David, Brooke, Michael, Katie. All names of people Jesus died for, but they will not come to know Christ unless the Spirit deals with them and moves on their heart. So we need to be laboring fervently. Epaphras, he was consistent and he was serious. The word here for laboring or, or, uh, is actually the same word used that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was agonizing. Agonizomai. That is the word that, that Jesus was going through when he was, he was praying and his sweat became like blood. That is serious prayer. Over 29 verses in Scripture, over 29 verses, refers to Jesus praying. Oftentimes Jesus would leave the people and He would go off early in the morning and He would pray. Oftentimes He, he, he would find Himself alone and He would pray. There was one time He, one time he was praying and the disciples heard Him pray. And they asked him, teach us to pray. Because when they heard Jesus pray, they heard what prayer is like. Prayer is not just simply words we use. Prayer is not just a, a thing that we do. Prayer is that vital part of a relationship. It is what keeps our water bottles full so we can be refreshed, so that we can have contact with a holy and living God. See, the thing is, if you're living a life and it feels dry and you don't have that vibrant relationship with God, it's not because God poured your water bottle out. It's because you've done nothing to fill it back up most of the time. Prayer is that place that we can go where God can speak to us deep into our soul. Prayer is that place that we can go that will move the heart of God and the Spirit of God to do something that defies logic and imagination. In our deepest pain, when we don't know what to do, we need to pray. We do not have to answer everyone's questions and everyone's ideas about their, their pain, their agony. But the one thing that we need to do is to be there and just pray. That God will give what they need. Epaphras loved these people and he was consistent and he prayed agonizing over them with a deep burden. You know what's interesting? As I think a lot of people in church have lost the burden for the lost and lost the burden for each other. And the only burden they carry is the burden of the weight on their shoulders that they deal with. So I pray today that your burden will be for others. And as we look today at what Epaphras prayed, we can see here that 
He labored earnestly for you in His prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all of the will of God. When you pray for someone to stand perfect, to be in that place where they know and understand the will of God, they fully get it and grasp it and they are embracing it, then you truly are in a place of wonder. A place that uh, that person can get through even the worst of times. They understand that God's doing something great. That even in the best of times that God is doing something great. Because God's will is oftentimes laced in tragedy and pain. He can do greater, great things in those moments. God may not cause them. But boy, to be in the center of God's will in the middle of something tough is a glorious place to be. Think about Jesus. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was absolutely abandoned. He was beat on, spit at, mocked. Physically, he was a mess. And then they crucified him. And in the middle of all that, Jesus Christ was in the center of God's will. Praying for God to work in people's lives so that they will be in the complete and full and they will stand firm, knowing what God's will is for their life, is one of the greatest gifts a person can receive. So he, he actually interceded with long-suffering for them, and he was specific. That's the last thing here that, about Epaphras' prayers that we can see. He was specific. He prayed for you. He prayed, I'm, I'm pretty sure he prayed by name for people. He may have had a, a prayer list. He may not have. He may have just tried to remember people in, in, in his church and people he knew and just went down a list. Maybe he, he, he had some kind of way that, that he had a, a, a notebook or something where he scribbled some stuff down. I don't know, but I can tell you this. I think he was specific about who he prayed for. And then with that, he was specific about what he prayed about. He didn't make it generic. Let me tell you, you will never fill your water bottle with the beauty of Christ praying generic prayers. Praying, God, just bless them. What does that mean? Well, that means that just good things happen in their life. Have you been living on this earth? Does that mean that if bad things come that God's not going to bless them? Be careful in praying generic things. Pray specific things. And when you pray specific things, I would encourage you to think of this. Pray what's in the Bible if you want to get something specific that's at the center of God's will. You can never go wrong praying what God's already got written down here. You want to pray something that's in God's will? Pray what Epaphras prayed this week for somebody. That they would be fully assured in all of the will of God. That is a God-centered prayer. Mention them by name. See, Epaphras, that's what he prayed for them. And when you read this book or this letter that Paul wrote, it carries that same idea throughout the entire letter. I believe Paul was sitting there. He couldn't go anywhere. He's under house arrest. And he would hear Epaphras pray. And Epaphras would start praying. He'd start mentioning Larry. 
and Denise and Edith and he'd start mentioning Robin and Lynn and Veronica and Chad and Amanda and Buddy and Lisa and he would just go down the list and he'd be praying and man Paul would hear this guy and see him pray and Paul was moved and when he wrote the letter the letter is absolutely dripping with the the prayers of Epaphras and the impact he had on Paul when it came to this church. We even see in chapter 4 verse 2, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Why could he say that? Because he's, he's looking at a guy, Epaphras, who devoted himself to prayer. Nothing great has ever happened for God that was not first devoted to prayer. God will not move on our behalf until we are moved to go to God. Because if we simply just wait for God to move on our behalf and we never go to God, guess who's going to take the credit? Let's, I'm just going to be real. Guess who will take the credit if God does something and we don't first go to God? We will take the credit. Man, look at the blessings I've got at work. I'm just so good. They like me. I'm doing a good job working. When the whole time, God may be the one blessing. But when we go to God first and say, God, I'm going to do the best I can. You do what you need to do in my job. Then at that point, we've placed ourselves in a position where we understand that when it comes, it's not us. That is Him, and He gets the glory. Because as we take that step out, when we're not devoting ourselves to prayer, we're devoting ourselves to ourselves. He says, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. We have to be alert when we pray. When we pray, it's not simply words, but there is an enemy who tries to get at us while we pray. How many of you, when you're praying, get distracted? Praise God, it's not just me. How many of you just this morning when you were praying, you got distracted and your mind went somewhere and all of a sudden you're going, why in the world am I thinking about that now? Anybody besides me this morning? Well, praise God, somebody else this morning experienced that. We have to keep alert and keep focused on being with Him because our minds are, are prone to wander. But here's the thing that I want us to get that's the bottom line today. Above all things, we need to be praying like Epaphras, but here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. And that is that prayer is vital for our relationship with Christ and His power in our life. Prayer is vital for our relationship with Christ and His power in our life. Remove prayer, remove vital prayer, remove that vibrant prayer, that growing prayer, that growing prayer. Did you hear what I say? That growing prayer, remove that from your life and you're going to find your relationship with Christ waning and the power of Christ diminishing. You want to keep your water bottle full when it comes to your prayer life? Then make it something consistent specific, and absolutely labor, because sometimes when it's tough, stick with it. Don't back down, because here's the thing that scares the devil. When God's people begin to pray, 
When God's people begin to pray, then the devil gets scared because he knows they're going to the one who has dealt him defeat throughout all of time. See, the devil understands that as long as we depend upon ourselves and one another and the government and, and let other people give us the answers and find the solutions, that he's got us right where he wants us. But when we go to the God, the one who created the universe, the one who spoke all things into existence, and we begin to call on his name and we begin to cry out to him, that's when he says, oh, snap. They're calling out to the God that's been around for eternity. The one that has been there in every step of my way of trying to do evil. They're calling on the one that when they depend upon Him, they're going to do more than I ever did. He don't like it when God's people praise. Listen, E.M. Bounds said this, We can never know God as it is our privilege to know Him by brief repetitions that are requests for personal favors and nothing more. What E.M. Bounds is saying is that when we pray, it must be more than just simple, Now lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's got to be more than, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. Is it by our hands we are fed or by His hands? By His hands we are fed. Let's thank Him for our daily bread. If all we can do is repetitively repeat that, that's great for a start when you're a child. But ladies and gentlemen, none of you are children anymore. I don't see any children in here. We got a baby that can't even speak yet. There's nobody in here who should be praying like that. Because when you've got a relationship with Christ... You should just be praying and just giving it to Him and letting Him know. A heart moved for other people will be a heart moved to prayer for other people. A heart that wants to see God do great things is going to be a heart that's going to be praying for God to do great things. See, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. It changes our mind, it changes our heart, it changes our word. It will change our actions if we will get fervently, if we will get consistent, if we will get specific in our prayers, it will change us first and foremost. And then we're going to start seeing God change other things around us. Oswald Chambers said, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. When it comes to the Christian life, there's a lot of things we can do. Like this coming Saturday, there's going to be some men here at the church that's going to go out and go knock on some doors and let them know about the 4th of July, let them know about that we are here and just simply say, hey, some of them we may even go, who do you think Jesus is? Some of them we may just simply say, hey, how can we be praying for you? Is there anything we can do for you? But that's not the greatest work. The greater work is us praying before we go. Because if we go and it's not been bathed in prayer, you know what we're going to have? Powerless time wasted. I'm just going to be real. Without prayer from God's people, you can go knock on a thousand doors and you won't get any result. But prayers from five of God's people and you can go knock on ten doors and see God move in ten families and radically change lives. 
So I ask you today to keep in mind the greater work is that of prayer, not the actions of the church. I do invite you in and I ask you to please come be part Saturday morning, 9 o'clock. Show up here because we want to do some more evangelism. Jack Bosworth's got a heart for it. He's excited about it. Tim's going to be here. We're going to do everything we can to start reaching people more and more. But the bottom line is, we need some people praying. If you can just Saturday morning, if you can't be here, but you can be at home and you can pray between 9 and 9.15 or 9.15 and, 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 and 9.45 or 9 to 10 o'clock, if you can do that, let them know that you're going to be praying for them while they're out. They need that. We need a prayer team backing something like that. We need people praying because that is the greater work. Because that brings the power of God and the change into the lives of people. Without God's Spirit, God's ministry is nothing because it's not God's, it's ours. We must bring God's Spirit along and that comes through prayer. Andrew Murray said, Time spent in prayer will yield more than that given to work. Prayer alone gives work its worth and it's success. Prayer opens the way for God Himself to do His work in us and through us. Let our chief work as God's messengers be intercession or prayers. In, in it, we secure the presence and power of God to go with us. It's a beautiful thing when we see God work. But it begins when we go to God in prayer. Paul's concern for the people could have been birthed from Epaphras and him being in his life about these people. Because we see that Epaphras is concerned about those in Colossae, Laodicea, and the Aeropolis. But we can see that he had a concern for people. We must in our life examine ourselves. Where are we in our prayer life? I want you to know there's something you can do with this idea about Epaphras and what he was doing. I really believe that Epaphras can teach us something about prayer. I believe when it comes to what must I do, what must I do with this message today, what must I do in my prayer life, I think the very first thing is this, I need a plan. I need a plan for my prayer life. Now, listen. Some of you have a plan. Some of you have a prayer list. I'm not letting you off the hook. What can you do to make your prayer life even better? Maybe you could add some biblical prayers. Maybe you could begin to pray for some missionaries or find out some names of people and let them know you're praying. Something that where you have a plan. Because let me tell you what happens to those who do not have a plan. They're planning to fail. If you have no plan, don't expect there to be much success. I know you've heard this. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. So a character and you reap a destiny for yourself, your family, your church, your world. So here's what I would ask you to sow this week. A plan. Look at your current plan for praying. Some of you may be sitting here this morning going, well, I don't have much of one. I just get up in the morning. I just pray. I just let it happen. 
Let me tell you, you are only going to get so far with that plan. You are going to find a place where that plan is going to limit you. Never be satisfied and content where you are in your prayer life. Continually want it to be better and want it to grow. You should be hungering and thirsting so much that you want so much of God that you're willing to to work a plan and find ways that other people pray and what they do. Uh, Do you know some people pray an hour? I know some of you are going, an hour? Are you out of your mind? What in the world are you going to pray for an hour? Some of you are going 10 minutes? Praying for 10 minutes? I don't know that I could pray 10 minutes. It is not the length of your prayer that brings the vitality. It is the depth into the relationship of Christ, the seriousness, the consistency, the fervency that you have in that prayer that makes it powerful. So do not walk away and think that, oh man, I don't pray an hour and I I need to start praying an hour. That is not the point of this. It is about you looking at your prayer life and putting together a plan so that you can limit the distractions in your life. Maybe you need to be praying at lunch. Maybe you need to be praying in the morning. But here's some things for you to know about your plan. You need a time, you need a place, and you need a technique some way that you're going to be doing it. Find what works for you. It may be five minutes. Praise God. If if that's a growth and that fills it up, then go for it. Five minutes may not be enough. It may need to be 20 or 30. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You put together a plan and the enemy is going to come at that plan and try to get everything he can in way of it. Epiphras was the kind of guy that he labored. He agonized. He would find ways to make sure that he prayed because he understood how vital it was for his relationship with Christ and how vital the people in his church needed it and the people in his community for them to hear the word of God that he must be in prayer. So you need a plan for your prayer life. Second thing is you need to pray. Here we go. You ready? I think you may have heard this consistently don't be just shotgunning it don't be just praying going down the road going yeah i got a plan for my prayer life i'm gonna pray as i go to work and as you're going down the road and the guy cuts you off god i just pray that his car quits before he gets to work that's not the kind of consistency we need Jesus would get up before everybody else and he would go and pray. And if he needed to do that, how much more do we need to pray in the mornings? Well, pastor, I'm not exactly sure what to pray. That's okay. Just pray. You're going to figure it out. You can find some resources. You can talk to me or some other of the ministers here in the church and and just some other people here in the church and they can help you with how they pray and what they pray and what they use when they pray. But you need to pray consistently. Man, that's so important. The second one is 
I need to pray consistently and fervently. I need to pray laboring. I need to pray and make sure that I stick with it and I get through those times of distraction. One technique I heard somebody say one time is they keep a notepad and a pen or a piece of paper next to them. And whenever they're praying and something pops into their head, maybe it's something about work, they'll open their eyes and they'll just jot it down. And then they push that to the side and they go back to praying. So that they've done something with it. They don't have to worry about trying to remember it. But they get it out so that they can focus. Can I tell you the worst thing in the world to take to your prayer time? This is my opinion now. I might be wrong, but this is just my opinion. I'm going to tell you right now, this is my opinion. But the worst thing, absolutely the worst thing you can take to your prayer time Is your phone. But pastor, I got my prayer list on there. Well, you better put it in airplane mode and turn off the Wi-Fi and make sure your data is shut off and your Bluetooth's not working. So that there is no way, no no, no notifications can pop up on your screen because you know what's going to happen? You're going to be going, Lord, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. Today I'm just going to cry out to you. Oh, I got a meeting at 9 o'clock. I forgot about that. Oh, gosh. It's going to happen. So if you're going to use this, have a plan to shut off the data, shut off the Wi-Fi, shut off the Bluetooth. Make sure that this will not distract you when you pray. You have got to be praying with a plan and fervently and not being distracted because the devil wants to distract you. And the last thing is this, pray specifically. Pray specifically, not generically. Pray, find things. If you're not sure what to pray, find something in God's Word to pray for somebody. Ask somebody. Get a list going. You know, I have tried to start, I don't know, 15 or 20 lists, and I still ain't found something that works consistently and well for me. But I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep trying. I will use different things because I want to be specific when I pray. Because how do you know if God answers your prayer if you're not specific about what you're praying for? So pray consistently, fervently, and specifically. Whom prayer is taken serious in our life, when prayer is taken serious in our life, then God's blessings will be a daily fixture in our life. Even if things go south, you're going to see God's blessing. Because as we devote ourselves to prayer, and we're alert, we're going to have thanksgiving in the midst of them, even in the mess. So here's your seven-day challenge. Here is your seven-day challenge this week. Pray for someone by name that God's Spirit will do something great in their life. And maybe you want to do away with the word something and figure, figure out what that could be specifically. Pick somebody by name and pray for them specifically. You may want to pray what Epaphras prays here or maybe what Paul mentions in chapter 1 where he talks about that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all aspects of God's will. Maybe you want to pray that. But I challenge you for the next seven days to pick someone and pray specifically for them. And let's see what God does. In your life. Pray with me. Father, this morning we thank you for your word and the encouragement it brings. 
I thank you, Father, that right now, because of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, that when I cry out to you and I pray, you hear my prayers. Jesus, actually, it says in, in, in the Bible that in your word, that Jesus is interceding for me right now. So, Lord, I ask that as He intercedes for everyone in this room, that their hearts and minds would be moved. That they would be challenged. That their relationship with you may grow more vital because their prayer life will grow. Lord, I pray today. Lord, for those who have had tough news this week, even this day, things that has happened in family where people are in the emergency room. God, I pray that you will move upon our hearts and move upon theirs. Lord, that you will work in such a mighty way. Lord, when a baby cries out, it cries out in desperation, trying to get our attention, trying to let us know about something. May we pray like that baby cries. May we cry out to you with such desperation that we will not back down but stick with it. Nor today for those who do not know you, that when they pray, when they cry out, God, they're not praying for their salvation, but they're praying for others. But God, you are waiting to hear that prayer from them. That prayer of forgive me and take over my life. For Lord, we have all fallen short of your glory. And we must come to a place where we surrender our life to you. Ask you to forgive us and take over our life. Lord, it is through prayer that we've access that salvation gift that you've given to us. So Lord, today I pray that as your Spirit convicts hearts, that Lord, this day, someone will surrender their life to you and accept Christ.